Hey, hello, how are you? This is a show for everyone else. Instead of going after top 1% of the world, we dedicate this podcast to celebrate the lives of the unsung heroes and self-made artists. Hi there, guys. This is Fei Wu, and I am finally back. It's been a couple of weeks since we released a last episode. I want to let you guys know that, in fact, I have been live streaming, or I should be more accurate by saying uh, I've been multi-streaming all my conversations with my podcast guests on uh, Phase World Network, um, Phase World Media specifically, our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, my personal page. And also Twitter slash Periscope. Let's see what else.、Um, Twitch sometimes, but it comes down to me learning a new skill. As a result, some of you guys know this that I like to teach everything I know. So as a result,、uh, I'm gathering a lot of new information and testing out. Live streaming, multi-streaming services such as Restream.、Um, let's see what else. Lula and Caster, and I know that some folks really like a number of other、uh, applications as well. What, which、um, I believe, what is this one called? Yeah, Streamyard. So I am signing up for these accounts. I'm testing them out equally, comparing them, and to give you an accurate, an honest, and authentic readout of. Whether they could be for you or not, you know, and how you could potentially use them to grow your business online or offline. So that's my new discovery.、Um, with that said, I do want to talk about today's special guest. His name is Michael Lecky. Michael happens to be a current client, but I also see him and treat him、uh, as a dear friend. You know, I invest a lot in my clients because. I appreciate them for who they are and what they're doing. As a result, that's really the main reason why I bring them on the show. And today, I think it's going to be a special treat because most of you guys, you know, if you're new listeners, again, welcome. Please stick around. And if you're existing listeners, well, you know, I've interviewed a couple of clients of mine on the show, but it's not a regular thing for us. And you know, we choose our clients very carefully in terms of.、Uh, You know, we just want to make sure we, as in, you know, on behalf of Phase Road Media, it's not just me. It's my producer, her mom, my associate producer, Adam, and Rose, who's my social media manager. Everybody has their say in terms of who we want to position on the podcast next, and we want our guests and myself, everyone involved, to grow with the show. We've been around since 2014. Some of you guys may or may not know this. And、uh, we still feel like there's so much more to learn. So Michael is the founding partner at Silverback Partners LLC, a company he started on his own not so long ago in 2019. But prior to that, and for over 25 years, Michael has led transformations and cultural change、uh, from small to huge enterprises across a very big variety of industries. And for the past roughly 15 years or so. He has focused on the emergence of the increased need for change demanded by our digital world, and his purpose is to partner with you, perhaps, and his clients to align culture, develop leaders of today and tomorrow, and tailor a strategic plan and roadmap roadmap to achieve those results. So, what I've been able to work with Michael on. Is to help them produce new video content, a series of video content, 
to introduce himself and his line of work to a larger audience, to a more public audience. So you can find Michael's work also on YouTube. Um, he has a Facebook and Instagram account as well. You know, we're starting to work on those accounts. One thing to keep in mind is in Michael's position and his experience, his main goal on social media isn't just about, hey, reaching as many people as possible, target everyone. But, you know, we talk about strategically how he would position him and his brand to a niche audience. And what I have noticed, you know, over the past six months or so of working with Michael is that, you know, you can gain a lot from these even dormant connections and uh, to discover people in the grand scheme of social media world who can really benefit and understand your brand. That really isn't everyone. So I'm a true believer that, again, you don't need a ton of fans, a ton of followers to build a business around it. So for Michael, I feel like it's such a generous act that he has done so well professionally, yet he is here to teach. He wants to get his message out. And he has this friendly voice because he is a very friendly and very down-to-earth person. So very different than perhaps, uh, you know, what leadership entails or, or uh, you know, who or the personalities of these executive folks and what they're about. So I think Michael really defies all of that. And I want that to represent in our conversation. But beyond that, I, you know, I want him to open up the, the box and, and let us know what it was like for someone like him. Clearly, you know, financially very strong. And there were a lot of very promising position. He worked at Gartner and, um, you know, he was at GE and a lot of these companies that, you know, presented a very stable outcome financially. And for him at his position, you know, Michael still has a long way to go as an executive person for these companies. Yet he decided to start his own thing. So, that has been a theme here at Face World Media, you know, starting your own thing, making something out of nothing and creating something so unique uh, on your own. And Michael took that leap and I wanted him to talk to you guys about how his family reacted to that, especially his, you know, longtime partner, his wife of many, many years. Uh, together, they raised two kids and one is a teenager, one I believe is around 20 years old. And so, you know, that had a huge impact on that decision, you know, when you have a family. So a lot of you guys, some of my audience uh, have constantly asked me this question. I want to take that leap, but how do I communicate that to my family? And what can I do? How can I prepare myself mentally? So I want these real authentic stories to come forward so you can hear directly from real people you can relate to. And I hope you like this episode. Again, there's so much going on at Face World. I hope you would choose to follow us on social media, but especially pay attention to the things that we're doing. We're growing on YouTube. We've had um, a bit of a success, if I should say, you know, growing from a few hundred followers to now closer to 4,000 followers in under, uh, you know, just two to three months. So uh, to me, that is a leap of faith as well to pick up another channel, trying to grow it. So uh, as part of these episodes, I definitely want to be able to share a bit more of what I'm doing, what I'm going through personally, but also as part of Face World. If you find these stories helpful, encouraging, please let me know. And I want, by the way, these intros to be as real as possible. I don't want to edit them down or up. I don't know, like so much. So I want to just pour my heart out and share these stories with you guys and 
and um, hopefully to see you some uh, see you on some of these live streams moving forward on Phase World. And um, so much love to this community, and I can't wait to see you at the end of the show. In a while. It's really been a while since I've interviewed executives on the show because I started the podcast about five and a half years ago. And at the beginning, I was working my corporate job. And so I had all the reasons to kind of go to the creative departments and talk to folks similar in your position, which is like senior leadership. Um, but now we're coming back full circle because since then, you've started your company called Silverback Partners mm -hmm. and uh, your author, speaker, consultant, you made that transition. And could you talk about, you know, that transition? What made you realize that you want to try something outside of the corporate world? Oof. Um, well, there's, there's probably positive and, 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 and not so positive answers to that. I mean, a, a friend of mine, uh, Evan, I worked with Evan Smith said to me, he goes, you know, we got to face it, Michael, we're probably not well suited to be employees anymore. You know, I mean, um, uh, too arrogant, too opinionated, just too impatient, um, you know, uh, not able to deal with some of the, the BS that goes on. And um, but on the other hand, on the positive side, you know, it was really about trying to find where, where my where my great work was, where my kind of purpose was uh, in, in the world. And as I went through a, a transition out of a, um, a corporate role, I wasn't sure if I was going to do this. Uh, I was certainly scared about doing it wondering, you know, would I be able to make it work? I mean, there's that, that safety and security comes to the corporate job or at least the illusion of it. But I, I went and I looked at a ton of jobs with some great companies with huge brand names and some that were less well known, but all some really cool jobs with great people. But my, my sense of my ability to actually really make change happen it felt like I was going to be too constrained if I fit into a role that existed there. And even if they created one, it was so hard to kind of break out and do something different. So I thought, you know, if, if I'm going to make the world a better place to live and work, I've got to do this from outside being a part of the organization and building a relationship to be enough a part of one as a consultant. And so that's what I decided to do. Mm. How long ago was that, by the way, when you made the transition? Oh, it's funny. The, the first time I, the first time I actually tried doing it was about uh, 20 years ago and I did it for about a year and was really lonely and wasn't ready. It was way too immature and, and uneducated. Um, I decided for certain to do it and made the hard commitment to it last June. Mm -hmm. um, I'd started the June before that, both interviewing and kind of starting to build up some consulting, you know, on the side, but I wasn't yet committed to it. And I took another corporate role that um, uh, ended up being a, a short term, uh, three months. And I left that and thought, mm -hmm. nope, now it's time just to, you know, put my eggs in this basket and trust. And so I told my wife, you know, buckle your seatbelt. It could be a bumpy ride. It could be financially a challenging ride. Um, mm -hmm. I was prepared for it to be really, really difficult. And, you know, I've been so fortunate that relationships of the past and other things seeds sown a long time ago resulted in work almost immediately and continue mm -hmm. to have more opportunities for work. And now working with someone, you know, like you, I'm getting even more opportunities. And so, um, you know, I've been very, very fortunate in that regard and very pleased by that. But yeah, it's only really been since June. Wow. Yeah. I was walking around outside and I was just doing like the calculation. I said, yeah, I think it's been just about a year since Michael started working on his own. 
I have a lot to say about, I, I haven't even officially met Molly, your wife, face to face, but I, it literally makes a huge, so funny, this just got stuck in my hand, but <laughs> I already adore her energy because when we brainstorm about content creation and then I see her holding an iPhone a number of times to film you, even though I couldn't see her for the longest time, but I could sense that energy of her support that yeah. how much she appreciates the work because I've also been in the other situations where I work with clients, whether it's a man or a woman, uh, that their partner might not be in such agreement, not any negativity towards me, but saying, hey, you have this super steady job. We have a couple of kids who are going to college. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't take that leap right now, but I could just feel, you know, I knew I was going to like Molly and I so appreciate her for doing that because you know, if I ask you to otherwise record videos with a tripod and in a forest somewhere, it just should be so much harder. So I want to yeah. thank her first and foremost. Oh, I, I can tell you, I got to thank her as well. And, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm at times I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that, uh, you know, she, she's an artist, but it's not like um, art is what, you know, pays the bills. I, I'm, I'm the, the breadwinner in the family, as they used to say. And I'm very aware of the fact that you have two smart, educated people, both who are perfectly capable of doing that. Um, and when we had an opportunity, we were in California together, both of us in graduate school, when I had an opportunity for a job that was kind of one of those step change or sea change roles for me, we knew it was going to interrupt what she was doing, which is getting her master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and that it was going to be harder for her career if we invested in mine. And so we made a decision together to do that. And uh, and I tell her this all the time because I just wanted to remember that I have no doubt whatsoever that there's no way I could ever be me without her. I mean, we are truly a partnership in that regard, which I feel very, very fortunate to have. I mean, it's just a wonderful wife and a best friend. We have great fun together. But she has been a real partner and she has been that support that's allowed me to do things. And she's always believed. And, you know, but at the end of the day, I, 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 I'm smart enough to know that nothing is just about me. In this case, it's yeah. particularly true. Oh, I, I love hearing that because I feel that not, not every man or every husband, every partner realizes that. I think it's so important to acknowledge the decisions that have been made together. And I can't wait to check out her artworks and, you yeah, know, I see some behind you there. So, Oh, I love that. This yeah. is wonderful. And, I want to kind of just, you know, circle back to you because I don't want people to get a sense for, oh, you know, Michael's is, you know, serious guy with a, you know, a really serious job. I mean, it's real. And I've seen a lot of the testimonials as part of collaborating with you on building your new website, for example. But I mean, let me just throw some names out there. The companies you've been with, Gartner, uh, GE, Bloomberg. I mean, you were uh, at one of them, you know, chief learning officer. Um, so actually... What is the chief learning officer and what does that role entail? I love these kind of uh, creative positions. <laughs> I know. Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, the, you know, there's been a proliferation of, you know, chief something or other officers over the years that started with the CEO and then kind of just grew a CFO and there's more and more and more. And oftentimes they get kind of made up now. Mm. But if you think about learning itself, learning has basically come from a background of training, most of it compliance-based or safety-based. And training was something you delivered and a lot of times you checked the box and got it done because it was more compliance based. And sometimes people are investing in more training for different things that would really be useful, whether hard skills, soft skills, whatever they may be. 
but the chief learning officer role, I think has only just evolved to mean something in the past, maybe decade as organizations have started to make that mental shift from, we have to train people to, we have to know how to learn and learning is a skill. And it, I mean, as, as you well know, I'm in the middle of uh, writing a book, you know, coming out beginning next year on Kogan page, uh, they're publishing it. And it's about transformation and change. And one of the things we look at is learning over knowing and the fact that you just can't know enough anymore and you can't know it fast enough anymore. So you have to be able to learn quickly and discard what you knew yesterday and learn something new. That's hard for most of us because a lot of us, our, our sense of who we are is, is, is bound up in what we know. Mm -hmm. uh, and our, our sense of how we got to where we are and the, the money we've made and the status we've you know, uh, obtained and our level in the world is about what we know. And it starts to feel really shaky if what we know doesn't matter so much anymore. So I think the chief learning officer role is one that is to help organizations move from a place of knowing to a place of learning if it's done right. Um, in other places, it's just they had to give them a fancy title because they wanted more money and they're still the head of training. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, speaking of how uh, a growth versus fixed mindset, some people hear this interview, let's say they don't know you very well. And even if I watch, say, a couple of videos and I think that I, I don't really, I still don't know Michael very well, he certainly has a very impressive resume. But there are moments of us working together, talking with each other uh, that help me learn more about how you practice what you preach and how you really live that um, as a role model, which is, there are things that as we're working together, neither one of us are very sure. And there sometimes are third parties involved technology wise. And when they're not like innocent mistakes, we're trying to triage a tech technological issue. Mm -hmm. You've always been very accommodating and very comfortable in yeah. the world of the unknown. And to be honest, that surprised me because I really did not expect a senior executive coming out of the corporate world after 20, 30, 20 years, 25 years, to react that way. Like I expect part of you to be like, oh, you, I'm, I'm in freak out mode. This has to work. This has to yeah. be perfect, right? How do you well, come by that? Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's learned <laughs> mm -hmm. and it is more recent. But if you, if you think about I me, mean, you know, organizations today are all the, the, the things they're grabbing onto, they're excited about, you know, disruption, change, and being more agile and more digital and all of these things. I think one of the great gifts that the software world gave us and the you know, sort of, you know, first digital revolution is that it taught us the value of like, you know, fail fast and all of that kind of stuff that basically says, look, the point is to try something, something workable as soon as possible and see if it works and count on the views mm -hmm. of the people who are actually using it to see if it's working and then to shift and to change or to pivot, whatever you want to do, as opposed to being concerned about being, right and having just the right answer the first time. So I, I anticipate it's going to be wrong the first time because that's the only way you can actually get to right unless you're really, 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 really lucky. Mm -hmm. And so like when you, um, I mean, obviously I've done a lot of work like this on stage a lot, a lot of, a lot of video uh, spoken in front of, you know, small groups and enormous groups. But even then you said, look, Michael, the first, you know, first hundred videos might kind of suck. Uh, mm -hmm. Just keep doing them, you know, because eventually you get to 101, right? Now, whether it's yeah. 50 that sunk or 500 that suck, eventually you get there. And I, I, I guess I've learned enough to know that it's, it's only by, you know, I learned those lessons by trying and failing. I, I often kind of tongue in cheek, um, you know, a quote, person I refer to as the great uh, 20th century philosopher, uh, Cher, 
when she said, if you, <laughs> if you are willing to look foolish, you'll never have a chance at achieving greatness. And mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, so true. So put yourself out there and, and to the role model piece, I mean, it's, it's the least I can do to not be a fraud. You know, I mean, uh, if, if someone looks at me and people say wonderful things, look at your background, your resume, and they'll say oh, accomplishments, you start believing in your own hype, you're really screwed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know what I'm good at and I'm confident in that. Mm-hmm. I also know that I have a lot to learn and grow. And I know that the best thing for me to feel better about who I am, what I can do is by knowing that I have a lot to learn. And by displaying mm-hmm. that, especially I found out that I guess in positions of leadership, it makes it okay for those below you. I mean, I'll, I won't rattle on about this, but there's a, there's a, a great book, and I believe it's called An Everyone Culture by Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy, who have done some amazing research up at Harvard's business uh, education school. But they talk about the amount of time people in organizations spend hiding, hiding their inadequacies, hiding their fears, um, hiding what's really going on, playing politics. It's, it's enormous the time we spend putting on our image mm-hmm. and our mask it's exhausting. Yeah. And you know what? You look at Brene Brown's research. If I just be who I am and show you who I am and vulnerable about that, while it feels scary to me, invariably to you, it looks like strength. So what have mm-hmm. I got to lose knowing that? Let's just go ahead and be real. Well, let's talk about the most popular piece of content that we've delivered to date. <laughs> so I, I was watching your video. Again, this, in this case, Molly was taping it. And I laughed so hard in my office that you know a family member has to run in to say what's happening i literally laugh so i realize that this is a i see you as a friend as as a colleague and and just to see some of the mistakes you you made i wasn't i was having my happy tears i realized these authentic moments were so precious where you do have to you know stop start again and uh you're super chill about it. And then the, the, I remember the background in the forest, a little yeah. forest near your house, bugs, yeah. bugs everywhere, <laughs> kind of like kind of tape, videotape. And I threw the idea to you to say, hey, Michael, what if we do like a blooper video it was originally Adam's idea. I want to credit that uh, to Adam Leffert. And, um, you know, and it was so popular. And I was a little nervous, to be honest. I, I asked for your permission to say, hey, let's share on LinkedIn. Let's share on Facebook. But at the same time, I was also nervous that somebody could post a negative comment or, or to be making fun of you. And the reality was so opposite. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember, literally within the first 30 minutes, um, a couple of men and women immediately said, this made my day. I'm like, brother, I've been there so many times. Yeah. How did that make you feel? Well, it, obviously, it makes you feel good. And, and, and nobody, nobody likes negative feedback either. But you know, there probably is somebody out there who thinks it's a waste of time or I'm being indulgent and putting it on and trying to play. I don't know. Somebody's going to troll you no matter what. Um, But, you know, when you get the great feedback and someone says, I relate, I understand that. um, And somebody, you know, saying thanks for, you know, kind of on behalf of us who have been in a similar place, putting it out there. I guess you feel like you're making the world a little bit safer to be human in. And, um, and it was fun. I got to tell you, I mean, you know, I sent it off to you. I, I didn't actually, you know, watch through all the bloopers and to your credit, you know, you, Adam made the suggestion and you thought, Hmm, and you put some little, little snippets in there, like the little laughing and the, Oh God, no, you know, the Steve Carell. And that was so funny. It made me laugh when I got it. I thought, you know, you, you got to share that. Um, but yeah, the, the, the feedback feels great. And uh, it's, 
it was, it's, it's fun. You know, it's, it's a fun moment and you know, we got to have fun and not take it so seriously all the time. Uh, Cause I think that, you know, sometimes I used to get this and you see people on stage, you see people and there's a lot more of us, you know, behind or in front of a camera now, I guess, than ever, ever were because the cameras are you know, small and cheap and we have such unlimited bandwidth to share and not like it used to be. But the fact of the matter is, is you start to create this fantasy around how smart or strong or professional or polished mm-hmm. somebody is. And, and they're, they're most of the time just an idiot, just like you, you know, making mistakes and doing dumb things. And it's great to admire and it's great to aspire to, but more so I think it's great to be inspired and realize that, you know, you can do what they can do. It's mm-hmm. totally attainable. You just have to to go out there and do it badly for a while until you get better at it. And I, I see, you know, so many people caught up in the, in the trap of perfection mm-hmm. that they don't move anywhere because they're afraid, well, if I do that, I'm not going to be perfect at it. So I better not do it because that's shameful. No, it's not. The only thing shameful is, is, is staying where you are and not, you know, living your life. Mm. So. I love these growing messages, especially even, you know, for, for me to kind of really take that in to think about myself as somebody in my 30s and you look on YouTube, everybody's like 12 years old. Uh, I literally found myself listening to an advice from a 12 year old, which was really liberating because she sounded good, she looked good, very confident, right? And now there are no boundaries of people learning from different generations, people who look like you, look nothing like you, you know? Um, And so I'm thrilled to be sharing this conversation with people on my social media channels for, for people who are wondering. It's on my personal page, on Phase World Media, company page, on your company page, and hopefully soon on LinkedIn. They're like, oh, you, you need permission first. What are you going <laughs> to yes. share in the future? How often? Yeah. Um, and then it's also on YouTube under my channel's live stream, which where I was able to build an audience now close to 2,800 people as I were recording this and 150,000 views every single month. Um, I want people to hear this message, uh, even though they at the beginning right now that most of them are independent creators and fitness entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you, Michael, I get phone calls if I wanted to 10 times a day, but I, I won't. I won't just call everybody, I don't have the time, um, is that people now, a lot of these Zumba and dance and fitness instructors are in their between 40s and their 60s, 50s and 60s. They felt like such idiots when they use Zoom to teach dance lessons for the first time. They were absolutely miserable. They were telling me about it, the sound didn't work, the video didn't work. Um, they felt terrible. And then it took so many of my videos Uh, And what I learned, what I heard from to say, you're really not alone in all of this. Given the pandemic, you're using this for the first time and many other people are in your position. So don't, please don't worry. Don't beat yourself up. So like, I I feel like you have such a lighthearted way of treating life as well as work. I mean, how do you kind of pick yourself back up uh, in a situation like the pandemic or possibly, you know, failures and, and roadblockers earlier in life to say, hey, you know, wake up and do this again. Yeah, yeah, uh, this is a great question. I, you know, I think you get better at it. Uh, I think you just have to realize that it is going to happen. Um, you know, and it's funny too. I mean, as human beings, I think I can make these blanket statements and have them be relatively true. One is, is that human beings generally have a desire to grow. They have a desire to grow and evolve and, and, and get better and be more. Um, they also have a desire to be seen. They want to be recognized. 
Um, they want to be noticed in life. However, most of the time we don't want to be seen to be growing <laughs> because that can be kind of awkward, which is sort of a strange little conundrum. That's YouTube. Um, yeah, that's right. Uh, but, you know, I've certainly had my share of failures and setbacks. I've had jobs I could have done a lot better at. I had, you know, choices I could have made that would have been smarter. Um, you know, uh, it's funny when I get, uh, well, in the past when I would have, you know, recruiters for executive jobs call up and saying, you tell me about a mistake. I'd like, how long do you have? You know, we can go into that, but it's, I guess, I guess what it is, is that I know that when I make a mistake, that when I fail, that I'm probably not going to fail that same way again, if I'm willing to look at it and to learn from it and to have it be a part of my growth, mm -hmm. which means I have to really deal with it and just lay out there and say, hey, you know, what was it about this that I did? I could, I could say, here's the circumstances that caused it. Okay, then I'm a victim. I could say, there's the people that caused it. Then I'm, you know, using one model, I'm, I'm a persecutor, you know. I, for me, it's like, well, what did I do wrong, you know? Okay, what would I do differently next time? Great, learn from that, go on, and that's one less thing. It, a long time ago, I, I learned about one of the, um, I can't think of which one it was, maybe Amgen, but one of the one of the pharma companies, biopharma companies out in the West Coast, that when a a trial they were going down or a specific road of investing a lot in a, um, a medication or a, med or a you know pharmaceutical solution finally failed and it wasn't the answer, they'd hold a party because it was one less dead end that was now closed off. It was one less bad road they weren't going down. And I think that, that that always stuck with me. It's like, hey, you know, you, you, you mess it up. You learn from that. You don't mess it up that way again. And pretty soon, you know, you start cutting off some of these ways to mess up. But the people you see that make the same mistake over and over again and, and really get stuck are the ones that are unwilling to look at their contribution to how it went wrong. And for whatever reason, I had people smart enough around me that I trusted who pointed that out to me and I listened to them. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've always been, I've always been pretty good about saying, you know what, I'll take that help. I'm not too proud to get helped. Um, and that's helped. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think accepting help and letting people to be part of that process is something I learned a great deal in the past few years. Um, you know, I, I feel like for especially for for women out there you've been a provider and you've cared about everybody else's uh, emotions and needs for so mm. long and it's actually really liberating and uh, to accept something that and, and then to make people part of the process like i literally try to set up a patron's account for phase royal media on youtube i certainly did not expect people to contribute a, a great deal or having to relying on on that but the conversation that started people believing in your message and trying to do their part doesn't matter it's three yeah. nine dollars twenty dollars it makes a huge difference and yeah. it, it's wonderful so i i mean i i feel like i have so many questions i'm gonna pivot just a little bit because something i learned from leaders in your position to then starting a company there is a struggle that uh, many people confronted which is how do you transfer and translate the knowledge the skills that you had prior to the work that you're doing now um i would while you're thinking about the answer i would also say that when i interviewed chris voss who um wrote the book never split the difference yep. and now is part of a master class he said, uh, it was part of my documentary, he said, well, it was really challenging to translate the, actually the, the FBI work, even though it's relevant to everyday life negotiation, but to actually translate that knowledge to practice 
and and to set up a company was actually challenging. So I would love to yeah. know what that process was like for you. Well, you know, I, I think it's, I, I, I think for me, uh, it, it's getting clear on what it is you 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 do well and that means that you have to step aside because most of us identify with a role. Mm -hmm. In fact, some of the work I do uh, in, in organizations is trying to help them understand that if you treat people as a role, mm -hmm. you're wasting your resources. Treat them as a whole human being, understand what they want to do, what they don't want to do, what they're good at, what they're still learning, what they don't, what they don't want to do, what their family situation is like, what kind of time they have, how they work. Understanding someone as a whole human being, you can figure out better how to get your, your work done together, really, you know, humanizing them um, as opposed to just an organization and a role. So I think for myself, if I look at the roles that I'd done, I would have been really locked into something uh, trying to find that role again. It's one of the reasons, by, by the way, if any of you out there are executive or recruiters or heading up search firms, find a way to stop putting somebody who's done and failed at the same job for 30 years in the next job because it feels safe because it's not. Sorry, a little bit of a rant, but how many times I've been called and said, yeah, the client, like, well, you haven't actually had done this and their company and their industry with them at this level for this long a time, have you? I was like, yeah, no. I, I had one, they, they basically said, here's this thing that's never been done. Show us you've done it before. I said, you've got to be kidding. But all that rant aside, sorry. Um, no, 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 it, no, it's, it's real. A, it's real life. You know, it's just a matter of saying, you know, what is it that I actually do well? What is, what is underlying what I do in that role? And so for me, the things that I seem to do well um, is create space that allows other people to step up and step into something. And I learned that a long time ago. Actually, the way I parsed that out, um, one of my uh, close friends and the person who's, you know, widely read his, his books, uh, the, the Coaching Habit, was a huge bestseller, Michael Bungay Stanier. We spent a lot of time together and he's got a little book that he wrote, um, much smaller, you know, one way less popular called Do More Great Work. But it basically says that you need to find what your great work is. And one of the ways to do that is to tell the story of great work. And so I thought back to a time and a great work means something personal, right? Something where you're in the flow, you feel really good, but it may not be something that's being noticed. You're getting paid well for It's just, it's just something that feels good. And I thought back to a time when there's someone that worked for me that when they first started working for me, were suspicious and had a right to be, were wary. Um, they're older than me. They didn't see why they should be doing this. And I ended up creating a space for them to step into. And they went from being someone that was considered, you know, probably wouldn't be right for this to someone who became so good at it that my need in the organization became redundant and I moved on from the organization. Mm. So it's how I lost a job, but it's a story of great work because I created that space. So I started to think, well, how do I create spaces? So some of that is by facilitating groups. Some of that is by coaching my clients one-on-one. -on -one. Some of that is by creating a, a, a structure or a, a set of tools that they can use to do something they haven't done before. Mm -hmm. I just figured out how do I create the space for others to do you know, better and better and even great work. And once I knew it was that category, I can find a lot of ways, a lot of techniques to do that. And it really opens up possibilities in my life. And back to my rant earlier, there's nobody out there that's saying, hey, we want to hire somebody who's great at making space that others can step into and really achieve and overachieve. They should be. 
Mm-hmm. HR and recruiters should be looking for that, but they're not. They're stuck in the old way of just filling the role because that's what's expected and they're not pushing back enough. So anyway, mm-hmm. for what it's worth. Is that, is that useful? Does that yeah. help answer the question? I, I think so. Do you think, I, I feel like, do you think maybe people in your position are feeling that way, but there isn't necessarily a role that's current and available to them in an organization okay. And how do they process and think about that? Should they then become creative entrepreneurs? Because honestly, that was my struggle. I learned a lot, made a lot of friends, actually really enjoyed part of the job that I do, working with people, growing other people, like making yeah. myself obsolete. But helping other people grow was my biggest joy. Um, yeah. And you know, when that becomes very challenging or too political or whatever it may be, I definitely found i've found so much joy in doing that currently as a freelancer as a creative entrepreneur so like what's your advice to people like oh i resonate with this message so much what should i do boy i I wish i could say you could do it inside and outside of organizations but you know that wasn't my immediate experience Um, i think it's there are more organizations now where you can Mm -hmm. really you know find the place that's right for you um but there's still, I think, probably most of them that you can't. And hence, you know, the, how the gig economy is, is skyrocketing. And, you know, platforms have a, a friend, uh, Chris Keen, CEO of a company called Gigster. And they bring the best minds in technology who don't want to work inside one corporation anymore. And when they go to the corporation, their promise is, we're going to solve your problem faster and better than you could do it with all your own internal people. Just outsource it to us and we will partner with you and take care of it and we'll bring the best of the best because they get to work on the stuff that's the most exciting and then do other stuff they want to do. And so platforms that allow for that are really proliferating in the gig economy. I think that there's organizations are missing the boat to not become their own platform for the gig economy with the people they have because with some of the things we've like, we've talked about, you know, medical insurance and what a nightmare that can be in the United States to get it figured out if you're independent and it's so, you know, attached to your employer. So employers have these things that they can offer if you're a full, you know, time employee that are beneficial if they could then create their own gig economy that allow people to find their place as opposed to somebody in management making that decision and trying to build the perfect machine. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge opportunity. But right now, I, I think, yeah, most of us are having to go out on our own or, or wish we had. Um, and you know, sometimes we just stay because, you know, the fear of the unknown is, is too hard to face, or we don't have, you know, uh, support in our family or understanding, or we don't quite know where we're going. And also we're not willing sometimes to pay the price. I mean, for me, it was interesting. I had to be willing and we sat down and I said, we have to be willing to earn a third of what I'm making. We have to be willing to go back. 15 or 20 years in income if I'm going to do this. Wow. That's terrifying. <laughs> How <laughs> I mean, did you got- your family and your two boys, the most people don't, you have two sons, one is in college, the other one's going to college. Like, wow. You know what I mean? Like how did the family take or process or how did you facilitate that conversation? You know, I sat down, uh, I, I, I knew I'd figure out the boys stuff You know, I had a little, you know, money that we'd saved. Um, but I sat down with my wife and I said, this, this is kind of the reality what we could be facing. I believe we'll get past it. I believe that I'll be able to achieve this. I know there's a need out there. And, you know, if in the end I'm wrong, I can probably get a decent job back in a corporation. Right. Um, 
but we have to be willing to do that and, and, and have that happen. So we've got to tighten our belts. We've got to, you know, stop going out to eat as much. We've got to stop spending. I mean, we've blown useless money out of our backsides for years and stuff because I started making more money. It's like, yeah, you, you spend it. You know, mm-hmm. at one point I'm making, you know, X thousand dollars a year and we have everything we need. And next time you're making, you know, five X, you're like, geez, our money's kind of running short. What happened? How, do, how does that happen in life? It's yeah. ridiculous. But we just had the honest conversation and I said, you know, can, can you be there for me in that? Um, can we work that together? And, you know, sh- she's really smart and knows that what I do either brings me joy or brings me pain. And I think having me come home and be unhappy and probably have the impact that has on our marriage and our family just, just wasn't worth it. And, you know, even if we step back that far, we should be able to find a way to live on that money. It just means our life is going to have to change. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing was, since we were willing to do it, we didn't have to. Um, yeah. you know, I know I, I was going to go there next. Yeah. I, I, I probably work, you know, active, hard working, you know, a, a full week, but I don't have to work all weekend. Sometimes I'm on the weekend writing my book, but sometimes I, you know, slack off a little bit during like yesterday, mm-hmm. I decided I wasn't going to work in the morning when I went for a run. I've been running more and trying to get back in shape. And I did an eight mile run and felt great and didn't do any work. Um, but yet right now I'm making probably uh, 150% of my last corporate C-level job and not working full time. Wow. Because I've got some great clients. Yeah. And now that may drop off, but I'm, I'm also looking at it. I I know, like I said to people, I've traded the illusion of security for no illusion. And so now like like our relationship, I invest uh, in my monthly retainer to have you be my marketing guru and supporter and do all the things that you do around social media that I can't do. And it's, it's a great investment uh, because it really helps me prepare and to grow and to be seen by people and to make those connections that are going to, you know, bring in that income because it's so indirect um, and to create new opportunities to, to bring in income and eventually create, you know, content that's, that's monetizable. Um, I'm aware that it all could stop tomorrow. And so I'm living a little bit differently than I did before as well. I love that level of uh, awareness that you have on not just yourself, but on your work. Uh, It's such an interesting dynamic that we need to be aware of because, um, and this is why I enjoy working with you because as you know, uh, not everything is measurable. It's interesting when we're in in either either business school or in business in general, everything needs to be measurable. And what they mean by that, it's not emotional measures, but actual hardcore numbers and that you have to prove the growth. I think, um, I think that's cool. That's interesting. But there is another element where, you know, Seth Godin talks about the dip, uh, the yep. dip when you try something new, when you make a fool of yourself, uh, when you don't see a substantial income as before, but you kind of have to get over that. And, uh, you know, and I still feel that pressure sometimes. I'm developing a course right now um, basically is a how-to guide for virtual assistants who support, who work for podcasters. Right. You know, and a couple of nights ago, I had this like slight panic to say, wait a minute, wait, why am I doing this? Why is this so niche? Like who's buying this course now? Is it podcasters investing or vir- virtual assistants investing in themselves? And like all of a sudden became kind of unclear to me. And, and I thought about our work to say, there's always going to be that, mystery kind of the kind of mushiness and like vagueness 
and then you kind of see the tree through the forests and, yeah. and so yeah well, you, you you kind of laid out for me when we first started talking about it. look here's the likely stuff that we'll be doing mm-hmm. um but as i got to know you and, and develop some trust and, and i got to appreciate what you brought i was like okay and by the way this is not a commercial for phase world but if you need the services go get them um which is good but as we built the relationship um you know you've brought things i didn't expect because we're working together because you have the time to do it um i like i would with any employee i believe that you have the goals and the best interests at heart and you're going to figure out how to use the time that you have that that I've, i've paid you for to the best advantage and that if you feel like you're not delivering value that fits it you're going to find a way to do it and if you uh, hopefully and i believe if if i start taking advantage of that time you're going to say wait a minute that's too much i mean that we'll have that honest relationship yeah but um you know going forward i would imagine that you know i can i can measure you know the dollars i put into my phase world investment and i could set up some sort of thing that says and by this date i have to have got this return on investment yeah. What I do know is that there's going to be a lot of stuff that gets done, a lot of things I'm going to learn, a lot of ways I'm going to grow, things that are unexpected. And then one day something's going to happen mm-hmm. that on that pure ROI perspective more than justifies all of the cost. But I can't be kind of just saying this is the path, this hard path I have to follow because I've seen that in my own work. I mean, I built a relationship with someone who I, I'd, I'd read their graduate school textbook, you know, 20 some years ago, and we got to know each other. And as I left GE, I had some time. Mm-hmm. And I gave time to some stuff that they were working on. And I got to know them just because I wanted to be able to give something I wanted to, you know, connect with these people that I thought were really interesting and smart, I wanted to learn, I wanted to contribute. And I didn't have any perspective that that would ever benefit me financially. Mm-hmm. And then in the midst of me starting off this new business and wondering, you know, where's the money going to come from? She was involved in an engagement with the client and she said to them, you have something missing. What do we do? You need Michael Leckie. You call him and you ask him how much of his time you can have. Here's his number. Mm-hmm. And they called me and said, we need help here. How much time can you give us? And I said, well, I've got plenty right now, you know, so I'll give you this amount of time. Uh, and been working ever since in a great relationship with a company I've really grown to, you know, love and love the people there and my clients and what they're trying to do and feel like I'm a part of something that's, you know, important in this organization and touches people's lives. It came out of the blue because of seeds sown earlier. So mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure how we got there, but I, I guess starting with kind of just a conversation about, you know, you and I even working together, you've got to invest and you've got to sow those little seeds and you've got to not worry so much about when or how they're going to pay off. Just know that they will and know that you're going to invest some of that time and money in that future without having to have have prove itself immediately. Yeah. No, I, I love the, this message because I, I can, you know, as a digital marketer for a decade, I can absolutely put together metrics. I, I've seen people be dishonest about the work or the analytics, and I know how that can be done fairly easily, but I choose not to do it that way. And I never position myself or my brand in that fashion because I know that, you know, we got to play the long game. We got to play the infinite game um, yeah. to really understand. And I also think that it's an important to invest in ourselves 
So for the content creators and leaders, speakers, authors out there, I got to say that as much as I you know, love this format, this interview, and I think people these days crave bite-sized content, which is precisely what you and I are working on. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Each week we have our status, then we brainstorm the content that you're creating, you're speaking to, some are scripted, many are not, but you are a natural speaker and presenter that comes easy to you. Um, but I also see you grow and progress and get better and better each and every time that you know, these days I'll tell you the truth and the reality is I open up Final Cut Pro. I'm ready to like edit something out for your video before I publish them to YouTube. And I sit through the whole thing. I realize these are the, you know, a couple of natural pauses. There is nothing really to edit down except for I'll enhance the audio and, you know, I'll do my keywords and all those things. So I see this dramatic shift that's already happening to you after working on YouTube for a couple of months. And I love the fact that now, instead of people having to go through a longer interview, I mean, this is great. Please, everybody keep watching it. Um, but they're also bite-sized content on your YouTube channel, which yeah. is Silverback Partners, where you are so blunt and authentic about, hey, working on going back to work, um, you know, what to do in a time of crisis, how to lead in a time of crisis. These are the tips you can use right away in your organization. Um, I'm throwing some, a lot of these things out there and how management actually work. It's not by assigning managers and policies to say, make your people do this, but to, to find a natural uh, sort of evolution, uh, within each teams and make it flexible. So I love, I really love those messages. You know, thank you for that. I I really, very appreciate that. Um, you know, something you said that actually, I think one part is incorrect and one part I hope is correct. And it was about me in like in front of the camera and, and being a natural. I don't think I am. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you why is because when I first started doing it, I was horrible. Uh, but I started doing the horrible stuff long before you had to see it. And I've mentioned my friend, uh, Michael uh, Mungay Stan, you're also my friend, uh, Mark Bowden. Um, I think I sent you his uh, TED talk uh, from Toronto, uh, TEDx Toronto. Um, you know, also, just a, uh, I mean, a superlative communicator. He's, he's worked with you know, heads of G7 countries on their communication and changed how they relate to people. And I've been taught how to do what I do in front of a camera. I mean, I, I, I've been taught or I've learned, I haven't looked at you once during this interview. You know who I'm looking at? I'm looking at Sandra Bullock. I got this little smiling Sandra Bullock taped right on top of my camera because it keeps my eyes. And so I'm talking to you because I'm talking to her. Simple little things like that. I've, I've learned that the use of my, my hands um, in what you know, Mark would call the truth plane makes mm-hmm. a difference than if I use my hands down here and talk like that or if I am up here and talking like this. I've learned these things. And I would hope that I continue to learn and get better but that's one of the things I think is really important for people to know is that, mm-hmm. you know, if I had any natural talent at all, I don't really think I did. Maybe that's a judgment call, but all of this can be learned and you can learn to do anything. You can learn to do anything. And that is incredibly freeing if you just take a leap of faith that that's true and then learn something. And the more you learn, the more you realize you can learn more and it becomes just a, a, a way of life. And I think a way of life that, I mean, I, I believe that one of the things I'll do in my, my career mm-hmm. is I will help organization A 
be an organization that learns better than organization B and organization A is going to win in the marketplace because of that. Mm -hmm. That's exciting to me to take something I truly believe in and know it's going to help business, but also make people's lives better. I mean, if you can kind of make money and have a good life and be happy, it's sort of what you want. And why do we have to have one or the other, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been great. And, you know, I've taken up a lot of your time, Michael. Is there anything that you want people to know, to, to learn from, um, resources that you want to share before we close? Ah, oh, gosh. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's anything in specific. I mean, as what you've had me starting to do is, is put some of my um, uh, favorite uh, books on my little bookshelf now we're creating on my website, which mm -hmm. I, I love doing because I, I love reading. Um, but you know, one of the, one of the things that uh, a friend of mine said, you should, you should write a whole, a whole whole book or build a whole business around this. And I, I haven't quite, but I'm integrating it into the book that I'm writing is if there's something that you don't know how to do or that you don't think will work, it doesn't fit your assumptions, but if it did, it might be useful or good and you want to try it. The thing to do is not to speculate on it, not to you know, figure out how you do it perfectly. And I say to people is just, just try it. Try it three times with your whole heart and then see what happens. If you try something three times with your whole heart, you know, it's like eating Brussels sprouts. Try it three times with your whole heart and say, I'm going to like these Brussels sprouts. And if it doesn't happen, you don't like Brussels sprouts. As it happens, I like Brussels sprouts now because I forced myself to just try them and say, I'm going to enjoy these. And so, you know, anything you can try three times with your whole heart, um, it's going to open up a world of possibilities to you. And so I would just in, encourage you to do that. You know, don't be afraid, be willing to be, be willing to look foolish so you can uh, have the chance of achieving greatness. Awesome. This is wonderful. So everybody's watching this. It's in the description, everything you've been looking at. So Michael's social media handles, uh, Silverback Partners, the links for Facebook, Twitter, YouTube are all in the description. If not, I'll be sure to update that. Um, but it's been such a pleasure, Michael. I really, I really appreciate you, you know, being part of my life, working with me and growing with me together, uh, exploring new grounds. So thank you so much. Yeah, likewise, you're welcome. Thank you, Faye. All right. <laughs> like me looking for the button. All right, now it's paused. Yay. So this recording yeah. is just like internal for us now. That was great. Good. And that would give you what you wanted. Yes, absolutely. And I'm going to get a transcript as well. So Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, some probably some uh, some good little blog posts can come out of some of those conversations there. I think so. I think so for both of us. Um do did you find it different than how you've uh been interviewed by other people or when you interview other people? Um Yes and no. Um, I mean, uh, no, most of the time it's a pretty free-flowing conversation. I'm not worried about that. Um, I, your, your questions are, are, are excellent because they're not so, – so many interviews have um, a bit more of an agenda. Mm -mm. Uh, and your agenda is pretty wide. Let's, let's learn. Let's discuss. Let's to see what the thing to talk about is as we talk about it. And so you created some questions that, you know, help set the stage for that. Um, but um, no, I mean, it felt that they felt like real. I mean, obviously I can, you know, see the, the experience you have and the stuff that you do in your documentaries and everything else, because you have a really good um, uh, interview style. Um, and also, you know, not afraid to 
just listen to the person, but also make a contribution, make interpretations and kind of bring it to the next place. I thought it was a, much like you suggested it would be a, a kind of a, a back and forth. I didn't ask any real questions, um, but you know, it, it felt more like a conversation than an interrogation. Yeah, yeah, interrogation. Yeah, exactly. I, I love it. And, you know, I definitely teased out some, uh, some of the questions I sent to you via email, but I love the fact that you, you knew that we weren't just going to go rely on the script because it's so important to listen as an interviewer and actually go into uh, pockets of the conversation and dive deep and take a different path and yeah. find opportunities if there are really important questions down the road and kind of loop back and uh, find that. If not, that's okay too. I think we all got to, like you said, uh, be okay to like, say, you know what? We're not doing this anymore. Now we're doing this. And uh, well, yeah, I mean, and I know you're still, you know, re recording for us here, uh, which is probably good because I, one of the things this makes me realize is that it's so much more useful to say something for the first time than for the fifth or the 500th, right? Yeah. And so to be asked a question, and, and again, it's one of those things that people don't want to do. Mm -hmm. What if you stump me? Okay. Yeah. What if you ask a question I have no idea how to answer? Yeah. I've had yeah. people tell me that. What, what, what if I get asked a question I don't know how to answer? I say, Here's what you do. This is a technique that never fails. It's so miraculous. You go, I don't even know how to answer that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you have to do is yeah. just be honest. I don't know how to answer that. I don't have any thoughts on that. That's not something that I've considered. That's an okay answer. Now you may develop some down the road, mm -hmm. but the fact that some people can't even be put in a place where they don't have an, that if their, their expectation of themselves is I have an answer for everything and it's right the first time. Yeah. Come yeah. on, you know, let's yeah. have a conversation. And when you ask me questions, that makes me think. I'm like, oh, I got to think that through. Is there, is, there, is there something I actually can connect on that? And that's that moment of, you know, my, you know, neural pathways, finding something, connecting to something and some learning happening because mm, I'm yeah. talking or even in, at, the, at the kind of grossest level, teaching by, you know, talking to others. That's how you learn. That's absolutely right. I mean, it's it's interesting that how we found each other because the way that the way that that we've been talking about work is exactly the same way. That sometimes you know, like, oh, what is happening to buffer that didn't happen before? Like when we use buffer for this, I, I found myself like in a moment. It's like, okay, there's a new feature that's cool. That it didn't used to do this before, and now there's a message to Facebook doesn't allow us to do this. We need to get around, and you as a creator need to do this. And you're like, wait a minute but it didn't used to do this before. I, I just like, okay, calm down. And this is a, you're learning. I just, like you said, I feel like the neurons are connecting and, and yeah. doing all that. Um, I interviewed another, uh, a young gentleman in his late twenties from uh, not Cirque du Soleil, but uh, another circus at uh, machine, the Cirque in Montreal. Mm -hmm. And I was recording for the first time on a PC. I, I have everything that's Mac. I decided one day I'm going to get a PC laptop. And then I was interviewing him and I was like, oh, which button, I, where's the control key? And uh, he's like, hey, your, your neurons are connecting. I mean, this is good for your growth to, yeah. to use a different machine. And exactly like you said, I, I love that. I'm like, wow, he's right. He doesn't see like I'm making a fool of myself. Yeah. No, and, and what, what is interesting about how we work together as well, I mean, I don't know if I've ever said this, but the reason that I spend my money on you in growing my entrepreneurial business as opposed to Dory or mm -hmm. someone else is because you also just do the things I don't know how to do. Mm -hmm. And the ones that I should know how to do, like, Hey, you should, you should think about your, your hashtags here. You should think about the captioning. You, you should do this. Mm 
those things you're teaching me. But like today, it's like, yeah, I'll edit the video, Rose. Don't worry about that. You know, <laughs> Michael's not learning video editing right now because that's probably right. a less important use of my time when you're so good at it already that I can pay you to do that and yeah. I can make the most of my time to earn money that I can earn doing something yeah. else as opposed to becoming my everything. And so I think that that, and, and that's one of the things that I find with my clients as well. It's a combination of, you know, here and, and here, you know, I mean, the, the, uh, some of them, like mm -hmm. my own client today, we talked, you know, for 45 minutes of our, you know, 30 minute call and just kind of talked through some of these concepts and ideas that he's still, you know, forming and continue to form around how he runs this company. But also at the same time, I sent um, someone in their HR department some information and kind of pulled it together on, look, this is what's going to happen with return to work. This is kind of what's going on with performance management things. Let's look at this. Let's come up with, you know, here's, here's the document. Here's the deliverable. Mm -hmm. So I do those deliverables and sometimes I'm just having the conversation and having that practical uh, side of it as well makes a, makes a real difference. there it's me again i want to thank you very much for listening to this episode and i hope you were able to learn a few things if you enjoy what you heard it will be hugely helpful if you could subscribe to the face world podcast it literally takes seconds if you're on your mobile phone just search for face world podcast in the podcast app on iphone or an android app such as podcast addict and click subscribe all new episodes will be delivered to you automatically Thanks so much for your support.